Our meditation for this second Sunday after Epiphany is on our epistle reading, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Hear the word of our Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The only thing the enemies of God hate more than their creator is something he created. God created the heavens and the earth, so they seek to pollute the environment, that we may not see the stars or enjoy the earth. God created food, so they seek to instill blight, replacing our food with ersatz nourishment that kills us. God created man, so they seek the abolition of man in the hopes that we may be made more like cattle in every respect. If you can name something God has provided, then the devil, the world, and the flesh will do their best to destroy it. But while the devil and the world rage against our Lord, the church has always stood ready to contend against their various assaults, playing something like whack-a-mole with heresies and sins for 1900 years. That is until this past century, until these enemies pulled their most clever trick yet and hamstrung the whole body of Christ. They attacked marriage. By attacking marriage with the sexual revolution and popular feminism, the enemies of Christianity caused a massive schism. And not like a schism in the denominational sense. That we can deal with. Biblical Christianity persisted after the Nestorian Schism, the Miaphysite Schism, the Great Schism of 1054, the Waldensian debacle, Rome going off the rails, and so on and so forth. Despite our current plague of divisions in Christendom, there are faithful Christians everywhere. But attacking marriage causes an internal schism within the congregations, spurring men and women to be at each other's throats. Now, how did this happen? Let us take a look at the way marriage is supposed to work and how our enemies have attacked it with these very same rules as vectors to tempt our flesh. Let's start with husbands. 
Men have a simple directive to love their wives. It is agape love, seeking the wife's benefit and good for her own sake. The husband is to put himself last in the priority list and start washing his wife with the pure water of God's word, ensuring that she grows spiritually and in the knowledge of our Lord. He must also make sure she is secure physically and to help her emotionally. Yes, my friends, he has to pay real attention to her, and it's good to try to make her happy. If he has to do back-breaking labor to feed his wife and children, so be it. He is to sacrifice his lifespan if necessary. He is to be willing to fight and die rather than see her suffer. He is to be willing to undergo pain and martyrdom, no matter what, for the sake of his bride. In a word, the husband is called to be a selfless authority, just as our Lord Christ is. None of his decisions or directives are to be selfish. But the enemies of Christendom started getting men to ask what was in it for them. After the quote-unquote enlightenment with its endless labor and constant wars, men were encouraged to start thinking of themselves as atomized individuals with personal interests and pursuits. Well enough, we all have things we want to do, hobbies and goals, but these pursuits were then pushed on us, screaming, follow your dream, focus on yourself ad nauseum, until finally having a family became an impediment to the lives we were told to live, rather than a goal in and of itself. We started thinking of our own lives and ended up dreadfully selfish in the process. As a result, a wife became nothing more for most men than a pleasure factory for making the home a paradise, rather than someone over whom we are responsible. Add to this the consuming fires of the sexual revolution, and things get ten times worse. These days the culture raises us men to have this phrase tattooed on our hearts, why buy the cow when the milk is free? In other words, if a man can bed a woman freely before wedlock, then there is no reason he should commit to her in holy matrimony. But even that phrase, why buy the cow when the milk is free, is a subversive one, referring to women as something that is either bought or used. In other words, it claims all women to be prostitutes and takes away their personhood. The sexual revolution turned women into a product, and the modern man, frustrated with women, is angry precisely because of false advertising. Pornography, television, books, movies, these all present a fantasy to get them to buy without actually understanding the sacred covenant of marriage. Once he ties the knot, disillusionment is inevitable. She cannot possibly live up to the standards the world upholds. From the 1950s onward in the subsequent Martha Stewart culture, the idea could be labeled the domestic goddess who keeps a perfect home. Good luck getting that when you have kids and a dog and homeschool and errands. But that standard is also twisted further with the addition of pornography and a sex-addled culture. We want our women to be pure going into marriage, but
but then we want them to be these depraved dogs in a permanent state of heat for us. So a masterful keeper of the house, but also a nymphomaniac who never loses energy nor figure. This is the standard the world presents to you. I will tell you right now that this mother whore standard is one which few, if any, women could ever get close to meeting. But what's worse, no matter how much a wife tries to please her husband, keeping the home looking good and keeping herself looking good and making the home a pleasing reprieve from the cruelties of the world, one failure is all it takes. One bad day and the devil comes in with all the standards of the world, and he whispers into the husband's ear, Look how this woman failed you. Don't you see how they act on television? Oh, she's too tired tonight? Why don't you look at these nude women on your phone? They're never too tired for you. Behold, the devil and the world conspired together to work temptation in his flesh, to destroy his marriage. And unless the husband understands and fulfills his responsibility to love his wife, unless he understands that there is certainly a good enough for his woman, there will be the ever-present temptation to claim he has been cheated by his wife's failure, he's been the victim of false advertisement, and he will thus withhold the love he is commanded to give. Yes, thank you, sir. I'm sure this poor woman is fine with you treating her like a bad employee. Surely God approves. But the rule of conduct is also simple for women. It tells a forthright directive to obey their husbands. He is in charge. She is not. Anything which the husband tells the wife to do, so long as it is not sin, then she is bound by the word of God to do it. If this means having dinner ready at a late hour for when he gets home from work, so be it. If this means dressing well and keeping in shape, yes, these are included too. Though what he says might be disagreeable, though she may not like it, it is still nonetheless binding, for she is not to be the judge of what her husband says. That is God's prerogative, not hers. We might think of this as an easier task and duty than the husband's. If all she has to do is obey, then it at least appears more simple. But part of Eve's curse is that she should desire to be toward her husband and also contrary to him, while ultimately, either way, he rules over her. Genesis 3 verse 16. While the result is guaranteed in general throughout society, Women will struggle with conflicting emotions about their husbands. She might desire to be a pleasant and submissive spouse, but there will be a confusing urge to countersignal and disrespect him at every opportunity. St. Paul tells wives to follow that first desire, to be for their husbands. The world tempts her to do otherwise. What this boils down to is women being tempted to tempt their husbands being encouraged by the world and the devil to be obnoxious, self-willed, and rebellious. The goal is to make it as hard as possible for her husband to love her. The world tempts her to tempt her husband with nagging and endless complaints until he gives in and becomes the yes-dear kind of man that she will find utterly repulsive, completely unattractive. 
Remember, her desire is also for her husband, as well as against him. She may war against her spouse, but she would hate to see him defeated. You might call it two-faced, fighting a battle while secretly hoping to lose, but this is a result of an internal confusion. In comes feminism, though, to tell women that this confusion means she rightly perceives oppression. That this means she is less than her husband, according to the church, and she ought to throw a fit over it. After all, since our society's God is equality, it makes absolutely no sense to the world that one equal should hold authority over another equal. So things have to be made equal if there is to be a marriage, the feminist says. And by that, of course, the feminist means the wife should have complete and total control over every decision in the household. All the husband should count himself lucky to get a kiss on the cheek after serving as a walking money dispenser. Like I said, equality. And don't worry, there are safeguards in case this equality is not being properly observed. Namely, a family court system, federal law, no-fault divorce, and debtor's prison for alimony and child support. This sword of Damocles, this plunger on the TNT given to wives to blow up their families, all this is to make sure the slaves, I mean husbands, know their place in the scheme of equality. If a woman should feel as though she needs leadership in the marriage, in comes the feminist messaging to tell her that she is strong enough to make all her own decisions by her own power, and that she does not actually need the man that she married. Why is this, you ask? Isn't it reasonable to say that man and wife need one another? Sure, but we cannot forget that before feminism took root, the sexual revolution was there to turn women into pieces of meat. If you are going to tell women that they are nothing but sexual objects, prostitutes for sale, then you had better send them a message of empowerment and equality to make them feel better about it. You are nothing but a piece of meat, the world says to the modern woman, but do not worry, you are a very special and powerful piece of meat. Having papered over all shame for sexual indiscretion, Today's woman is expected to give away her body to every attractive passerby until she can settle on a guy with a nice wallet. The devil tricked women into thinking that humiliating and denigrating their bodies with endless fornication was empowering, and that marriage meant a potential loss of that power. But when marriage means financial security after a disastrous youth full of sin, then the trick is to tie the knot, but become frigid. Once she is wed, the newly minted wife is expected to withhold the marriage bed from her husband as much as possible so she can further gain control over him. This helps assuage her feelings of guilt and reassures her that she has some dignity left. Submitting to her husband threatens to take that dignity away. Bonus points are awarded, by the way, if she listens to the cultural tripe that says she is a poor excuse for a woman without having a career. It must be fun for the devil to watch women submit to their bosses at work, usually other men, rather than their husbands. 
when God said that woman was to be a helpmeet for her husband, Genesis 2.18, the devil responded in the 20th century with, but what if she was a helpmeet for everyone but her husband? St. Paul instructs wives to submit to their spouses, but the devil asks, what if we get them to submit to everyone else instead? So our enemies have been hard at work this past century to annihilate the estate of marriage. What has been the result? Men have felt as though they were conned out of something they were promised by society. Women have felt as though they are stuck between meaningless life as an office drone or sex worker and humiliating life as a domestic slave. Both of these are completely wrong-headed ways to think about marriage, but we have unfortunately listened to lies and distortions from our enemies. By listening to the empty threats and poisoned coaching from the enemies of Christ, we harm one another. Men receive wives conditioned from youth to act out and make repulsive, manipulative brats out of themselves. Women receive husbands who treat them like sex toys and expect them to make life into heaven. No one is happy with the arrangement, so our marriages slide into constant bickering, if not outright divorce and hatred. The world and the devil's corruption of the marital estate constitutes a powder keg in most congregations. To attack marriage is to destroy the unity of the body and on some dreadful occasions, to force us pastors to pick sides. When pastors do pick sides, it leads to further disaster. Do you know why so many churches have majority female attendance? It is primarily because of pastors who decided to curry favor with women, telling them exactly what they want to hear, sounding like a sanctified version of the message the world sends to ladies everywhere. Oh, don't worry, darlings. You need not submit, especially if he's being mean, and you husbands are so mean, how dare you? When they do this, the men of the congregation see these sermons, the liturgy, the music, the messaging, the Bible studies, everything made more feminine, so the wives and mothers and single ladies out there are made more comfortable. The men hear the message loud and clear, that they are not welcome unless they give up their masculinity. They end up leaving because they are the only ones who hear the law accusing them, while the girls are coddled and told they are perfect. Such ministers that create this state of affairs ought to be ashamed of themselves with their crass politicking and abandonment of pastoral responsibility. As I have said before, and will say again, God does not demand you give up your identity to be a part of his family. The men who leave these churches flee precisely because their instincts can sense this truth, and it is precisely the fault of church leadership for betraying the men in this way. It is absolutely tragic to see this kind of behavior from pastors who refuse to rightly divide the word of God and apply it to everyone. But that temptation should not be surprising, given that this rift in the family has forced ministers to preside over broken churches. Perhaps the building 
and the artwork are in good condition, but the icons in the building are shattered to pieces. St. Paul says in our reading today that marriage is supposed to be a living picture, an icon portraying Christ and his church. The husband represents Christ, and he gives himself up for her spiritual and physical well-being. The wife represents the church, and she submits herself to her husband's leadership while nurturing and raising up the next generation. Beloved, what happens when a man does not love his wife with sacrificial agape love? Then in the icon of marriage, he shows a false Christ, one which rejects the faithful and does not care for them. What happens when a woman does not submit to her husband? The marriage becomes a picture of rebellion and heresy. Or at worst case, with divorce, it shows apostasy. A husband and wife that faithfully fulfill their duties preach the gospel just by existing, and their children normally grow strong on account of the power that this sacred, iconic bond holds. But since the church has permitted the world's influence, it is as though the church invited a crowd of angry iconoclasts to come in with sledgehammers and smash everything to pieces. Perhaps the worst result of this is that single men and women look at the absolute devastation wrought upon the estate of marriage in the past hundred years, and they say no thanks. Men see the risks of divorce being imposed on them, which is truly a grave injustice. And they see the rates of cuckoldry and a governmental system that has sided against them for the past 70 years. Women, receiving their messaging from mass media, are encouraged to see traditional marriage as this Stepford Wives or Handmaid's Tale nightmare, and they hear of horror stories regarding tyrannical husbands. And this makes marriage seem like Betty Friedan's characterization of it as a comfortable concentration camp. Single men see those pastors siding with women as though they were in a goddess worship cult, and single women see actual polygamous cults arising that abuse scripture. And neither are likely to stay in church if they think very long about it. Beloved, this is one of the reasons why so many congregations are old enough to die off completely in the next 20 years. We betrayed the youth when we disfigured marriage, and they left. Of course, it does not have to be this way. The simplicity of the guidelines in Scripture for how marriage must be conducted includes a great deal of freedom. It includes freedom from of course, freedom from the dissipation and nihilistic way the world does things. It certainly includes freedom from the empty and sinful ways that people live today. From the lonely, porn-addled, erectile dysfunction victim to the SSRI and box wine fur mother. But it also includes freedom too. Husband and wife answer to the word of God regarding their conduct in marriage. No church authority may place further burden on them than what the word has said. There is freedom there because the rules are so simple. And why are the rules so simple? It is precisely because our Lord gave us marriage as a gift.
Let me repeat that. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a wonderful, amazing thing for a man and his wife to be together. There is so much joy arising from the love that each have for each other. That a man has a woman to have and to hold. That a woman has her man to bring her security and comfort. When we bring our arms around each other, when we share the pleasures of the marriage bed, when we enjoy spending quality time together and even being busy in the thick of it for our labors, it's amazing. And add to that the joy of having children. And you have marriage as a bedrock gift and blessing from our Lord. It is one of the most amazing blessings God has ever given us. And as if this were not enough. St. Paul says in our reading for today that marriage is an icon. Now think of that. For thousands of years... Before he wrote this epistle, people thought of marriage as something you do. It's a wonderful blessing. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to have. But now there is an extra amazing blessing on top of it that God should preach to you through your marriage. That God should have you with your wife or with your husband and say to you, you see this relationship that you have? When it's running well, it is a picture of the gospel. Look at your husband. He is dying for you. He is selfless in his conduct. This is exactly like the free gift and offer of salvation that Jesus Christ won on the cross. And God says to husbands, behold your wife, how faithful and loyal she is. Do you feel that joy? Do you feel that love for her? Do you see that? That is exactly how I feel about my church. And give her grace when she makes mistakes because I love my church in spite of her imperfections. And so too, do you see that she's trying her best in spite of her imperfections? This is the gospel expressed in holy matrimony. No wonder the enemies of God hate it so much because first they hate the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and no human institution outside of faithful Christian churches, no other institution preaches the gospel as effectively as a strong marriage. And I doubt that there are many people quite as devout as a husband and a wife who are in a strong marriage that preaches that gospel. Truly, they are blessed. So with that said, for husbands, love your wives. Show her the gospel in how you treat her with all graciousness and patience in putting yourself second, at least, in treating her well. Wives, show your husbands a pleasant, loyal, submissive behavior, and you will inspire in him the kind of love that our Lord Jesus Christ has for his church. And dear churches out there, if there are any other pastors listening to this, let us encourage those in holy wedlock, 
to be together. Let us encourage that harmony without picking sides, without trying to curry favor for the sake of our job security. Welcome to the 21st century. You don't have job security outside of being faithful to our Lord. And for single men and women, I understand the risks. But seeking marriage to a faithful Christian is more than a worthwhile task. It is a blessing that we ought not spurn just because of how successful the enemies of God have been in marring the face of marriage. It may be difficult finding a godly partner. By all means, I will not deny that. Times are tough. But with that said, the church should be taking a much stronger role in helping young men and women come together for matrimony. I hope and I pray that with this we may be inspired to purify our conduct as congregations and glorify God in this, that his enemies may be spurned and confused by our success. After all, one day they truly will be fully and completely defeated, and I intend to see that defeat with my wife by my side. Now, the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.